Hey listeners and viewers, if you've been liking the show, please don't forget to subscribe to the channel, give me a like, or provide a comment on feedback. For the audience who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about uh, BNB? Yes, so uh, so BNB started 16 years ago. It used to be known as Baklawa Made Better. Um, actually, sorry, it used to be known as Bilal and Muhammad Balut. Okay. And uh, and the way we started it, so me and my brother co-founded this. Um, and today, fast forward, it's a food conglomerate um, with uh, lots of recognizable FMCG brands under it, mainly in confectionery and healthy foods. Um, so today we are the region's leading chocolate manufacturer, Mediterranean sweets, man- actually global Mediterranean sweets manufacturers and healthy snacks and food manufacturers. Uh, some of the brands you would know, like freaking healthy. Yeah. So, um, so that's a 16-year journey, and uh, we went from being known a little more on that later, but from being known um, as Bilal Muhammad Balut to today, Baklao made better. Okay, amazing. Uh, and, and I think your cousins. And my cousin this. and my cousin join us uh, three years later. Today he is uh, co-CEO okay. um, and my partner in crime. Yes. Okay. Nice. Uh, it's not a natural path to go, I guess, to university, uh, spend all that time studying, and then all of a sudden stumbling into starting a confectionery business. Uh, how, how did you? How did you end up uh, co-founding? Uh, so it's Bidad actually very far from natural, <laughs> yeah. but um, surprise. I mean, not surprisingly, most people don't end up working in what they studied. Yeah. Um, my background is in math and finance. Mm. Uh, graduated. Um, and got my first job with um, one of the big four without naming names. In, in <laughs> it, was the, t- so it was on the tip <laughs> of your, your tongue, you know. Um, and in the UK, I joined for one day yeah. and I quit. The same day? Same day quit. Um, I met the partner there and I realized that um, it, it was not for me. Mm. For, for, for many reasons, mm. it was not for me. Uh, to the shock of my dad. Yeah, I was about no. to ask you how uh, Arab, mm. uh, you know, father. You know what it's like. Yeah. He's like, I taught you everything. I don't, now you, he's like, and you're leaving this good job in the UK. What do you want to do? I told him, I don't know, but I'll be home soon. <laughs> and uh, and I moved back here yeah. to, you know, to the country I call home. Um, and in the first few months, mm. uh, you know, I was, look, even at university, mm. uh, I was I, I would say I was always curious about different business prospects. Um, you know, me and my friends would sit down and say, hey, you know, we're in the north of the UK, in Newcastle. What about we open a shawarma shop or, a, you know, um, a Lebanese restaurant or... And all these ideas um, made me realize later on in life that I always had entrepreneurship. I think me and my brother took this from my dad, you know, growing up, seeing him... Um, we had it in us, and um, and when I moved back here, uh, my dad's original business was a, a um, mahmasa, which is a roastery that sells coffee, nuts, and mm. sweets. Um, and he then moved on to to the hospitality field, and passed this on uh, to a relative. And when I came, I you know that business was struggling, mm. and I thought, okay, let me spend the first few months helping him. Uh, fix the business but the business was already down under mm. um, one I, I guess the uh, 
the biggest thank you has to go to a conversation I had with one of the suppliers. Mm. I hope they listen to this podcast someday <laughs> because, um, because you know, I was a 21-year-old kid and I remember I was trying to negotiate. Um, we had a cash flow problem. So mm. I was trying to negotiate credit limits with the supplier. And he went on to, you know, he told me, listen, you kid, um, you wasted my time. You bought me here from now on. Uh, if you want anything, you pick it up from our warehouse and you pay in cash. So I went from 30 days to like cash. <laughs> like, and when I tried to look for an alternative, there was none. Mm. And that's what then, and um, I called my dad up. And I told him, I'll not forget that day. I was like, look, I, I know what I want to do. And he's like, what is that? I was like, I'm going to open up a trading company to sell chocolate ingredients. He's like, now you went and did the masters in finance <laughs> and, and math. And, and now you want to op- be a trader. I was like, yes. Um, so, so that's how the journey started. Um, my brother was studying in London at the time. My, uh, my cousin uh, was an engineer with Motorola. And, um, and I flew to Singapore. Uh, basically, I found a company that had no representation in the UAE. Uh, they're based in Singapore. I flew there. And I remember I had to even borrow money for the ticket. I had no income. Um, and I presented to them the opportunity of what it would look like if I had their brand. Um, I remember they asked me what, what my age was. And you know how we yeah. love to, I was like 27. But I had sent them my passport copy to book my <laughs> you know, hotel. Um, and I realized while I was telling them, and the CEO smiled. He's like, look, I like you. And I'll give you the contract, but you have to sign here um, that you're going to take in year one, 100 tons. 100 tons at the time, get things in perspective it was four dollars a kilo so four hundred thousand dollars yeah four hundred thousand dollars i had none i had zero in my bank account it was quite a lot but i was so excited that i signed it and i was like we'll figure <laughs> this out later and i called my dad when i went back to the hotel uh, and i was like i got the contract um i can't say to you what he told me but <laughs> <laughs> but, but you you told him i got the contract but or you just told him I got the contract. I just told him I got the contract. He told me, uh, "What did you sign on?" I told him, "Yeah, I signed." And he's like, "Yeah, but what's the what's the quantity?" <laughs> I was like, "I signed for four hundred thousand dollars." <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> you can imagine. I was like, Sean, I, what are you doing?" And he's like, "This is a legal contract." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, don't worry about no, it. Got <laughs> I got it." And then I, I and then there was a lot of screaming. And but but you know, uh, I guess that's uh, that's the protective dad for you. Yeah. Um, flew back. And now the business, I had to start the business because I told these guys I have warehouses and the fleet and we had nothing. Yeah. Um, just, just a couple of quick quick questions. So for a 21-year-old, it seems that you just had a lot of uh, uh, courage or uh, confidence, right? Like you're negotiating with suppliers, you're flying out to Singapore, and telling these people, hey, listen, you know, I'm 27, but I'm 21 and here's what I'm going to do. How did you find that confidence you know um the truth is i don't know i feel like i feel like the less you have in life the less you have to lose Mm. and um and when you're that young i feel like there's this thing in you where it's like saying you know i used to go play football Mm. and if you see the way i used to play football it was like i wasn't worried about breaking a leg or Mm. um, and as you get older you start becoming more conscious and um and I, I feel that uh, in in the younger years of an mm. entrepreneur, you risk more. Mm. You um, you're, you're more fearless. Let's put it that way. Mm. Mm. You only start putting your guards up uh, as you grow. Mm. Um, that's my uh, yeah. I'd say that's mm. my two cents on it. So now you have this 400k contract you need to fulfill. 
Yes, but I need the money <laughs> and I, I need the foundation. So, um, so uh, you know, I came back, spoke to my dad and he's like, look, I've been saving up for you and your brother. Mm. Um, and I have 500,000 dirhams mm. uh, for you guys. I mean, I, you know, education's on me and every, but he's like, at this point he was moving back to Lebanon. Yeah. Um, and I said, okay, um, that, you know, that's great. But I also need one more thing. I need an introduction to the bank manager because mm. back then, this is just before 2007, yeah. uh, just before the crisis yeah. and, uh, banks still believed in, uh, entrepreneurs and that's how there was no raising money mm. from VCs and, um, and yeah. And, you know, I went to meet the lady. I have to say it's a lot of thanks to her because she was my startup capital. I gave her 500,000 as a collateral. She gave me a million. And a million dirhams was not a lot of money, but it was back in back at that time. It wasn't so bad. Mm. Um, to get put things in perspective, the first container of chocolate was two hundred thousand. Mm. Uh, so I I took a warehouse in Sharjah, a tiny warehouse, and I hired a gentleman who would be the accountant, driver, sales, you name it. Yeah. You know, he was an all-in-one. So yeah. me and him were like a two-man show. Yeah. Um, and so that's how that's how BMB first started. I called it Bilal and Muhammad because the competition or you know the the company that I had an argument with, they also had the brothers' names in you know in the title. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me go down that path. Uh, and I called my brother up. And he was studying. I was like, look, I'm setting up this company for us. Um, it's going to be Bilal and Muhammad Balut, and we're going to be selling chocolate ingredients. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I'm so in. And he would go there and then uh, until he graduated, every break he had, he would come here and, you know, help me out. Mm. So that was the birth of BNB. Yeah. How did you figure out that this is actually what I need to do in terms of becoming a trader consultant? Simply um, by being different than the rest. Mm. You know, it's um, what is everyone else doing and, um, how, how you know, how could you offer something that much better? And as a start, I really believe no matter what industry you enter, you need to understand it. Um, you don't have to have studied it. Uh, you don't have to come from that background. But you really, if you want to excel in it, you need to know. Uh, and I'll go on to tell you a little bit more when it comes to Baklao and so on. How um, by understanding the product really well, it made all the difference in one of the oldest, uh, you know, yeah. products in in our culture. Really, um, so that's what drove me to go and you know, start learning more about chocolate and turning into a, what we call a master chocolate chef. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a huge uh, fan of chocolate. You know, give me some, give me a, a piece um, of, an, don't an, ask an, me the, give me a the, nugget that, you know, I could use at a, at a dinner party about chocolate okay. that most people don't know. Okay. Um, so if, if you want to know, um, let's say, in chocolate, there's something called compound chocolate, something called couverture chocolate. Okay, difference is quite simple. One uses palm oil, one uses cocoa butter. Um, but now you want to know the difference between the different types of couvertures. Uh, first, uh, hold the chocolate in your hand. If the chocolate melts at your body temperature, okay, then you know as a start. Now you know you have a chocolate that has cocoa butter inside. So you know you're holding a good quality chocolate. Okay. If it's not melting in your hand, something's wrong. Yeah. Okay, so this is as a start. Um, when you put it in your mouth, um, the the uh, now the, now now we're gonna go to another level. But but that's like saying, give me a crash course in wine tasting. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I think what I'll do is I'll, you know, we'll we'll do a chocolate tasting session together. You yeah. come over and then I'll hundred percent. Uh, yeah. So now you're you're you become a master chocolate chef. You're 
what happened with that 400k stock did you were you able to push it out yes yeah, so we started you know we we sold out our first container ordered our second one started ordering um uh, decorations from china i would go and uh, from my competitor buy a chocolate machine send it to china disassemble it there and then um you know replicate it essentially inside selling it for a quarter of its price um and you know very quickly we we made very good use i have to say you know when you're so constrained with capital mm. you'll do you, you know you and and you don't you know there's never going to be a second round or a then you'll start planning really well. You'll only sell either in cash or you keep your limits quite low. Um, you, you, when you look at margins, you really want to make margins. You, you don't have enough capital to, to have the privilege of selling volume with, um, with low margins. Um, so in the first two years of the business, uh, you know, we pretty much quadrupled our capital, I'd say. Mm. Um, it's know, amazing. By trading and yes. Um, and I'd say by year three, we realized that, look, um, the range we have in our trading division uh, was increasing and the business was doing well. But the clients that we were appealing to were not growing as fast. In this part of the world, um, here are some interesting facts. Lebanon has 300 chocolate factories. The UAE at the time had five Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, when you're five factories and everyone's lining up and they want to sell you, and you have so many options by this point, um, it, it becomes uninteresting. And, and the innovation within these factories was very limited because it was all it was all a very old mindset of these are the products I have, take it or leave it. Um, whereas and, and I'd say we we're 10 years away um, from what Europe and the US were doing when it came to confectionery. Um, Lebanon, you know, the factories there were very innovative, but um, but with all the turmoil that they had, they, uh, you know, they would always, the airport would shut down, um, freight would get blocked somehow, and they wouldn't be able to export to the GCC. Uh, one of the largest consumers are in Saudi, mm -hmm. and suddenly you'd find that, uh, you know, their supply was, was blocked off. Um, so realize there was an opportunity here, and that's how we built our first chocolate factory. Uh, at this point, uh, my brother graduated and moved back. So, uh, so now we're you know two in command, yeah. and we split our roles really nicely. Um, and we set up our first factory. How did you split the roles? Um, so, at that point, I was doing everything: uh, uh, supply chain, production, procurement, um, warehousing, logistics, and he was doing finance, HR, and sales. Mm. Um, Yes, and I'd say that the game changer for us, look, um, in er all the production that we end up doing, we had some rules. Uh, first, you know, I personally um, think that chefs, I'm saying this on a... On a, on a but, public platform. <laughs> yes, but, you know, chefs are tricky. It's like hairdressers. Mm. You know, today you go to a hairdresser, you really like him, and then you realize he left. He left because he set up his own salon. Mm. You know, he found someone to invest in him, and he took the customers of the first salon with him. Yeah. Um, chefs are pretty much the same. You know, they'll uh, they'll leave you, set up their own uh, factory or shop, and they take their the know-how with them. Mm. Uh, so what we did was we we did it differently. We were like, okay, all products have a recipe and a process. Mm. That's what we care about. 
So, um, so we start bringing a lot of unskilled labor and turning them into skilled labor, into uh, chefs, if you'd call mm. it. And, um, and that's how our factories are like. We're able to scale up fast. We're not reliant on one particular person. Uh, management is at a minimum. And processes and recipes are what dictate the game. Um, innovation is at the heart of it. Mm. So, so everything is about flexibility. I, I love the term mass customization. So mm. when we set up our factory, it started very small. Um, but today I'd say it's one of the most uh, flexible uh, uh, chocolate manufacturing facilities that you'd probably find in the region. And, and actually in the world, is, it's probably quite unique in, in terms of the range of machinery and the setup we have. Why? Because we live at a, you know, we've always lived at a time when people always want change. They want something new. You want to live with the trends. And, um, and if you're, you're invested in massive industrial machinery that are not flexible and so on, it, there will always come an end point for them. Mm. Whereas with us, we could move and pivot quite quickly. Yeah. That's you're, you're, you're saying all this stuff in a matter of a fact way, but the reality is probably along the way, you learn through trial and error, you know. Uh, so a couple of questions come to mind. I mean, so now you've increased the capital of the business, but now you, you are, I'd imagine, almost betting the whole company on building a factory now at this stage, no? Um, I'd, yes, I'd say that, you know, w we definitely realized yeah. that the future of the business is going to be more about producing our own chocolate rather than selling ingredients. Um, did we learn the hard way? Yeah, as a start, you remember what I told you about, you know, learning the business inside out mm. of the intricate details in, in manufacturing. Now it's a whole different game. You know, I was learning about uh, ingredients, but when you take a look at all the, the, the world of machinery that exists, uh, it's outstanding. And, you know, the way they produce in, in the East is completely different than the way they produce chocolate in the West. Um, there's there were lots of um, tricks and, um, you know, s secrets of the trade, I'd say, that you would only learn by traveling and talking to, um, you know, similar businesses abroad mm. and, and you know, trying to pick the little detail of how they created these uh, masterpieces and so on. And, you know, that helped us a lot. Traveling, exhibitions, etc. We became... I'd say we became professionals when it came down to um, the manufacturing process, which helped us uh, understand how to pick out the machinery that we had. Now, this would play out a lot for us when it came to Mediterranean sweets. In chocolate, it's a much more, um, you know, it's an industry which is much more advanced. You can find machinery on the market. Um, but I, I would move back a little bit to, uh, let's start with when my brother came in. Because mm. as I go through the story, mm. Uh, there are certain things I want to highlight that mm. brought us to where we are today. Mm. The first thing is family businesses, mm. right? So so my brother finishes, comes and joins. Um, family businesses, actually, forget family, partnerships mm. are tricky. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's so uh, easy to meet a friend that you uh, love and or a family member and say, hey, we have this great idea. We're both let's smart. We're both, let's do it. Yeah. Um, and you just jump in. And, you know, you don't talk about, even in a marriage, you don't mm. talk about what happens if things go wrong. Mm. That's like, if you talk about it from the beginning, then you're like... Like dooming it. Exactly. Yeah. But, but we were different. You know, from the beginning, you know, you asked me, what did you guys do? No, we split our roles 
really well. Mm. And we put a contract between us mm. and we identified each one's incentives mm. so as not to ever have to discuss these again. Mm. That was a really important step that would prove to be vital in, mm. you know, when, when in other investors came in, in the future. Mm. So that was, that was a very you know, uh, important, I'd say, uh, step in the ladder. And, and the other one was aligning vision. Mm. What did we want? You know, we, uh, we were like, okay, look, we want to build uh, this region's most innovative uh, chocolate business, but we want it to be flexible, innovative. What did innovative mean for us? And based on that, everything else came. The mm. choices in machinery um, and, and, and the people we'd hire, the processes we'd put in, everything was based on the vision. Mm. And because we're very, and, and then the third one, I'd say, uh, before I move on to the story, is momentum. Mm. You know, this um, from from the day we started the business, what kept us going is momentum. We would not say, look, this trading business is doing well. Let's pause here. No, no. There's an opportunity to, to open a factory. Let's do it. Let's not do it over the course of the next two years. Let's do it over the course of the next two months. Mm. And that continuous push by both of us, there was no relaxing at any point, mm. um, yeah, got us to, to accelerate quite quickly. Mm. So these, these three things, um, in hindsight, we had them in common. And mm. if we didn't have them in common, um, I, I'd say we were, you know, from the beginning, we wouldn't have gotten to that place. Yeah. On the momentum side, how do you balance chasing the opportunity while maintaining focus, right? Because there's only so many things you can do in a day, right? Honestly, we didn't focus. You know, we're like, at that at that stage, we're just grab whatever. If you told me, hey, can you make some cheese? Uh, and, you know, if I saw there's a market for it, we'll do it. Yeah. Um, you know, that advice came later on, you know, with, with talking to some mentors, etc. They were like, um, I, I guess it's so normal. You know, mm. at, at that stage when you're a startup, you're trying to you're not only trying to grow, but you want to make sure you have enough cash. And so if you have to sell, um, you know, something under private label, it doesn't make sense and you'll still do it. Um, focus came later on. Uh, it wasn't there, but, but momentum didn't have anything to do with focus. Mm -hmm. Momentum was, um, you know, get things done. Let's not, you know, we, we talked about it. Let's, let's get things done yeah. you know, it, it, with that mindset from day one. Yeah, and it seems like you guys also had a massive hustler's attitude. Like there wasn't this idea of you didn't dwell too long on how we're going to get it done or the barriers and reasons why you can't get it done. You're like, let's go in this direction, Tabula, let's go. Now, where does that come from? Um, some will argue it's a DNA thing. Some will argue it's, a, you, you know, you talk, you talk there, there are so many uh, schools of thought on it. I think it's, um, I think when you come from a place where you have no other option, okay, mm. so um, so I told you we have very limited capital, if that doesn't work, got to go get jobs, you know, there's no, um, then you hustle. Mm. Uh, hustling, it's very rare you find someone who comes from a lot of money that hustles. Mm. Now that's a, but again, different schools of thought. Yeah. That's, a, that's our viewpoint. Yeah. So uh, we had to make it work. Uh, there's, it's a hunger. Yeah. Where that hunger comes from, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Why, why in, in retrospect, when you look at it, why were you doing all of this? Um, very good question. Why? Uh, again, it was a hunger. Um, you know, it's, uh, 
I guess is to prove one, to prove to ourselves we can. Mm. Two, because you know we yearn to be successful, mm. um, and our definition of success at that time was growth. It continues to be, but at that time it was growth, and um, and passion. You know the the business itself. You know to to end up being a master chocolate chef and go into details of manufacturing and so on. This is. It's not there's, it's not a business you enter again. It's not a trading business. It's yeah. a it's a business that requires you to to dive deep and only, you know, if you're not passionate about it, you, you cannot become a doctor, and and learn you know how to become a surgeon and spend fifteen years of your life learning if you're not passionate about it. So hundred percent. Yeah. But you didn't know you were passionate about it until you. You never know. So, you, so did you? Did you? Did you get into it and like you were like, holy shit, I'm passionate about this? Or did you want to succeed so your desire to succeed also brought with it the passion in this space? Like when I studied math, yeah. um, the only reason I studied math was because I was really not good at any other subject, you know? <laughs> so so I didn't go to university studying it because, you know, that was, that was my passion. Um, but then I became passionate about it while I was, I realized, I'm, you know, I really enjoy it. Uh, when I jumped into, I explained to you when the way the business started was from a, you know, a discussion gone sour with a supplier. Mm. So um, I didn't realize I was passionate about chocolate. I love eating chocolate. Yeah. But, I, um, but while we, you know, while, while into the business, going to the factory at 6 a.m., leaving at 10 p.m., um, I realized I was so excited. I was so excited about products we'd create. Um, you know, I'd speak to my brother and he was so excited about, you know, closing the deal of the day. And, and I felt like we, you know, we found the passion while we're mm. in the business. Mm. Call it lucky. Yeah. But, um, but sometimes you, yeah, you find it while you're in it. It's not yeah. something, I, I, it's very hard to say, this is my passion. Who says this is, you know, my passion is to open a chocolate business, unless you watch Charlie and Chocolate Factory while you're a kid. But who says that's my passion before opening it? Very rarely. Yeah. And that's kind of the point I was trying to figure out. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, noise or kind of schools of thought about do what you're passionate about. And so I hear a lot of, so I see a lot of people lost in life trying to find the passion. Uh, and I think there's actually another school of thought, which is, if I want to strive for excellence or I have that hunger and I find something that I enjoy, that hunger with the enjoyment will create the passion. I agree with that. Yeah. You know, yeah. so first you need to have hunger, mm. uh, fire inside you. Mm. Um, and then, and hey, and then you go out there and then you start trying. So, you know, I, I didn't realize I love basketball until I played six different sports and got to basketball and said, oh, I really enjoy this. Um, I think it's this whole, you know, work, uh, find your passion has, has gotten people to get really lost mm. um, and unhappy because mm. today, particularly today, you know, uh, 16 years later, I can tell you, I've never cried so much to sleep as the last 16 years. I didn't do that as much in my childhood. Um, the stress factor that plays out and today we're only talking about the really beautiful parts to it. Um, you know, finding your passion is not, you know, you go to a job, you have a few rough days and suddenly realize, no, this is not my passion. You know, I, I see a lot of that today. Mm. No, it's, um, you know, finding your passion is you take something and you make it work. You know, if you mm. have enough hunger, 
you uh, what drives you is less just that b- the business or the profession you're in, but more the goals that you want to achieve. Mm. But if you don't have goals in your life, I, I think it'll be very hard to find your passion, no matter what you do, because yeah. you're kind of leaving it to the wind. So th- th- there's quite a few things I want to touch on. Um, number one, it seems like you guys had a really good understanding of customers and you listened very closely to what customers needed. The question I have is sometimes customers don't say things outright and it requires reading in between the lines uh, to really understand what, what they're, what they intend to say. And sometimes customers are talking about a specific problem and then it's, it's on you to go figure out, okay, how am I going to solve this problem? Even though they haven't specified that, hey, this is the need of the day. So reflecting on it, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs around how to listen to customers and use that as a way to innovate, create, and build? Um, excellent. Look, first, our customers are not that vocal. Okay, they'll... Um um, if you take a look at our industry in confectionery, they just tell you, give me something trendy. That's it. That's your brief. Mm. Give me something that sells. If it sells, we're happy. If it doesn't sell, it's done done well. So mm. the brief you're getting is like someone telling you, like, this is a plot of land. I want a really cool house. That's about it. Mm. Really cool house. And now you have to go build a house. No, no, how many bedrooms, how many. Um, now, how to... How did we listen to that and how did we make something out of it? Honestly, by being able to change quick, we would try something out. We would not go excessive. We would not bet all our cards on it. So we wouldn't put all our money into one product or one line. Or, and we're able, because of that, we're able to fail quick and jump and, and start up quick. Um, and if we succeeded, we'd double down. You see what I mean? So mm. for us in, in... So you guys were just willing to try we're willing to try till today the industry um, you know talks to us and they're very perplexed by our school of thought because if you take a look at research and development in in a lot of food industries um, products go under research for three years four years before they're launched and you know they asked uh, I remember we've recently had a conversation where they're like um, how long does it take you from an idea so me and you thought it could be sitting now and you'd be like, Bilal, I have this really cool idea for you, freaking healthy. Um, how about a kid snack that does the following? And from that idea to putting it on the shelves for us is a three month process. Three months. Because, you know, we, we really believe in the whole, back to the momentum. You've got it. Look, it's a matter of time before this, someone else thinks of this. So, um, as long as it goes through certain parameters and you know it's safe um, with with all the uh, shelf life studies and nutrition etc but as long as you go through all that um try you know mm. try small mm. uh, there are avenues you don't have to list the product everywhere start somewhere but um i think a lot of times time is what kills businesses it just takes so long to change um you know they and there's so much uh, reluctance to move. Um, this brings me to the third part of what we ended up doing. You know, I, I was at a, a, a dinner, um, a networking dinner, and I remember one of the mentors there came and said, hey, um, 
what's your what's the purpose of your business you guys sell sugar you know it's uh you know how are you you know what drives you and he said this in front of a few people and i told him look um do you are, do you normally feel happy when you have chocolate and he's like yeah i was like that's what we do we we are spreading happiness but i went back home and i thought hmm yeah the, the, he had a point and it's normal that as a founder you're always so protective about your initial uh proper you know value proposition that you're like you'll defend it with all your might even if someone looks at you straight in the face and says hey that's no longer valid today you'll still defend it because if you don't stand for that what do you stand for see that's um thankfully something that the three of us never had you know we um we sat together and we're like look we really gotta make um some investments the other way around in the healthy food space because that's where the world is moving and you know and that's how we met um and and it's a again it's a skill set we didn't have today in confectionery we understood it we knew how to innovate quickly but then when you talk healthy foods now you're talking okay you're talking from a chef now we're talking about a nutritionist a food scientist um you know and and we had no one on board and it was a whole industry we needed to invest in so um the best way to do it the new age way of doing it is we found um a the founder of freaking healthy i remember meeting him and and he was looking for a supplier uh to produce his products and that con- one conversation what ended up in us saying let us invest in you and uh literally that everything took about one week and we became partners and what we inherited with that is the whole skill set and from there we built on um so the idea is pivot change you know visions change every single year for us you know what you asked me at the beginning you know, what are you what how you define success it's not the same anymore you know yeah that was my closing question you jumped to it yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's not it, it's never it's a comp, every single year we re, redefine ourselves but at the end whether we go right or we go left or we're moving forward you know what i mean we're just keeping up with with what the future would look like the other point that we kind of glossed over but i think is important is working with family uh you mentioned this the component of putting in contracts putting in a structure uh i love that i think that makes a lot of sense it takes the emotion out of uh doing business with family i also think business and family together gets a bad rep uh but if i guess if you can do it right and this is kind of what i want to harp on there's an advantage of working with family assuming that the family you're working with is intelligent hard working hungry that you don't get working with others which is just blind trust right and i find that you can't underestimate the value of that blind trust until you're you're in that space and you're working with family and you do feel like the person on the other side has your back unequivocally uh and i think that goes a long way in taking off a lot of stress uh, in starting a company i mean you're saying that from experience right because yeah. you work with your brother too yeah. um yeah. i think we're both lucky yeah because i think we got dealt i mean my brother my cousin uh i feel exactly that way around them but i don't think i don't think that's a theory for everyone yeah 
you know, I've heard some really messy stories from families mm. that, um, that, you know, friends don't even deal you. So mm. it's not, you know, the, what makes family businesses work or not, or any business work or not, it's not that if they're your family or they're your best friend or they're your partner. Um, it's more, this is, you know, uh, it's, it's all about incentives. You know, um, you being friends has, com has completely different incentives than you setting up a partnership together because in, in one sense, your expectations of each other is something. And in the other sense, now you're, you know, you're holding each other accountable to what you deem your, um, your success, how you define success is. Mm. And that has nothing to do with friendship. And if you're, if you're not incentivized in the right way, and if you don't split responsibilities in the right way, life will happen. And when life happens, it will deal you all the challenges that you can imagine. Um, I guess everyone goes through that anyway in, in relationships, right? Yeah. But it will deal you these things. And if you don't have a roadmap of how to deal with them, it, it unfortunately breaks even the best businesses. So nothing to do with family businesses. I think we were lucky that we, you know, mm. we had that um, extra trust. Um, it's definitely you want to partner with the right people, mm. but partnerships are difficult mm. and we spend very little time defining, uh, initially defining the roles mm. and a lot of time cleaning up the mess later. Mm. Mm. Yeah, fair point. The, the other thing when you were talking about going into new product lines and then your cousin was opening new markets, I think it's, very important to note that really when you think about your core business, I think what I've seen a lot of the most innovative companies do is while they're in the core and they're scaling the core, they're thinking about where do I get that next level of growth rate, right? Because the core eventually, the denominator becomes so big that the growth rate starts to come down. And you hit on two ways to do that. One is introducing new product lines that can scale uh, quite rapidly and or in your case and moving to new markets in our case there is also one extra you know we, you remember the initial business where we were importing chocolate from yeah. singapore and then yeah. it turned to spain we end up opening our own factory to produce that chocolate here okay so we completely vertically integrated mm. and that bought it, that also allowed the business to further grow so whether it's, um, again, vertically integrating, uh, introducing new product lines, moving to a whole new segment, uh, moving into new markets, there, there's ample ways that you, you keep growing. What's more important is to ask yourself beyond your budget for next year, is what would, honestly, what would the world look like? You know, if, you, if me and you were having coffee now, and you're like, yeah. let's start a business together. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say, okay, let's do that. What if me and you were having this coffee now here five years down the line and we walked out of this coffee shop, what would the world look like? Mm. And let's, let's talk about some real facts. For example, do you think that plant-based is, uh, is something that will continue to increase? Do you think people are becoming more aware? That's a, that's a no brainer. We'll, we'll definitely say yes, based on the trends today. Yeah. It's fast growing. You think we'll live in a, uh, you know, in, in a world where sustainability um, less plastics are used. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to look at, you know, packaging that's more, um, you know, eco-friendly. The answer is yes. 
do you think we'll live in a more, you know, in, again, in a, in a world where uh, there are driverless cars, electric cars, etc. And so we'll start writing the trends down. And from that, uh, an idea will be born. And, you know, if you do the same within your business and say, well, what will our business look like in five years? Will, be, will people be eating our product? Will the demand be the same? And sometimes you won't like what you hear. Mm. And you'll say, no, no, but I'm sure by then we'll figure it out. And you don't pivot and change the year that the change, it's too late. Mm. Uh, we, we, for us, e-commerce was that, you know, we, uh, and until today, a lot of companies, the way they handle e-commerce is they, they think they'll hire one person and that person will come in and change all their troubles about, and, and just put them online and that's it. Now, now you become a tech friendly company, but you know, it's, it's not the way it's done. Mm. You know, the founders or the managers at the top, all the way to the bottom. It has to be a mindset that mm. look, you know, uh, e-commerce is, is no longer called e-commerce. It's a it's a it's a whole, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a whole platform that um, you have to embody from you know from a, a commercial and an operational perspective. Um, and and so if the mindset isn't shifting, and if you're not ready to be honest with yourself on what it's going to look like, you end up missing the boat. That's um, so we were very good at asking ourselves that question every, not every year, every single month mm. at that ice, every month, mm. every Friday. Mm. And we still do that today. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and the thing I like about that, you're not putting it in the context of the business, you're putting it in the context of the market and the consumer. Uh, how do you identify, how do you delineate between what's a trend and what's a fad? a trend that's here to stay versus something that like, ah, this will pass. Because I think a lot of people have that whenever something new comes, they're like, ah, this is going to pass. You never know. Mm. I don't think you know. Some products that we thought is all, it won't last longer than two, three months has been 10 years uh, performing really well. And some products that we thought, look, this is going to be the future, um, you know, fumbled. And again, it's, it's about bet small and be ready to double down if it does well. But but do it quick. You won't know unless you try, right? So, um, yeah. Got it. The culmination of the story, what can you share about? Uh, There's something I didn't say throughout, yeah. throughout all this uh, journey. Um, mm. If you were to sit with me and tell me, hey, Bilal, the number one lesson you got from 16 years um, of doing business, I'll tell you, uh, you know, my favorite lesson is uncertainty. You know, um, we live, we all have uncertainty in our lives. And the more you get comfortable with it, the more likely you are to succeed. I'm not just talking about, you know, your work life. But uh, what I found is every day I thought everything is so perfect. The next day was a complete disaster. And every time I thought, um, you know, what could I, I've already blocked in everything that could possibly go wrong, something came, it creeped up, and um, and then there came a time, you know, after you go through a certain number of blows, um, you know, you grow thick skin, right? That's what they say. But um, you just learn to not get surprised when uh, my uh, I love something my brother once told me. He's like, look, um, we're about to do a deal and. He's like, this year you're going to receive some curveballs. Some will be small, some will be big. He's like, but what you're going to do is dance. So as they hit you, like you, you start dancing around them. And one came from behind my back. I didn't see it coming and 
it really knocked us down. But um, but that's it. Um, the sooner you're okay with uncertainty, and I'm talking here about entrepreneurship for a moment, the sooner you're okay with uncertainty and you're okay with whatever happens, the faster you'll deal with it, the the calmer your mindset will be when you're dealing with it. There's no panic that's involved. Um, and it took that long to, to, to be okay with it. You mm. know, um, and today, again, when I sit with my partner, my cousin, and we sit and talk about, well, you know, until today we, we have our struggles in the business, so normal. Um, nothing surprises us anymore. We're able to jump back that extra quick um, and again, it's it's something that I wish I learned 16 years ago because mm. uncertainty used to keep me up at night, give me anxiety and so on. So that's the two cents I would tell anyone that, look, uncertainty, it's there. You know, it's, it's part of the you're never going to you're never going to get it out of the window. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's part of stoic philosophy to a large extent you know my brother got into the whole stoic philosophy phase and he said something to me that stuck with me as well he said uh, nothing's ever as good as it seems and nothing is ever as bad as it seems everything just is 100%. and um, for me personally you're absolutely right when I felt anxious about an outcome I would freeze up in my mind so I could I could see that my brain cells are freezing and panicking and anxiety and as soon as i came to terms with this just is all of a sudden my creative juices were flowing and i went from this sucks how did this happen what's this going to do to the business to this just is how do we work around it uh, and that's a much more productive mindset to be in you know it's and it sounds so easy right i mean anyone listening to this will say oh man this is very cheesy you know we get this advice all the time but but the reality is you're not just an entrepreneur mm. right? you're you're a human being that uh, one day you wake up and you're like why why is my knee not not clicking you know what's what's going on why and and things happen to you mm. whether it's health whether it's family friends um and also on top of everything work mm. and sometimes they will happen at the same time mm. um there is no one I know who, um, you know, has had a very successful journey and you sit and talk to them and you, you get the one chapter in their life that how everything ended up really well and they made a lot of money. and But you haven't gone through all the bruises that that person has. Mm. What caused them to keep standing back up? And really, um, it boils down to this. It's, uh, look, it's going to happen. Mm. You know, and it's initially, you know, when we were talking about what's your passion and mm. You can't. It's, it's. You can never take that out of the equation. Mm. And um, if you're okay with that, everything else is just. Um, it, it's stuff that people already know. Mm. But mm. that's the stuff not taught. Mm. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. And I think that's my. What can What can you share about the uh, the exit, the acquisition, uh, whatever you want to call it? I mean, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, so one of our, one of the initial uh, mindsets we had from day one was, look, we're not a bit, we're not building a. There are two not reasons you build sell. a business, right? No, we are, okay. but we're not building. Yes, we didn't have the. We want to build it and then sell it. Mm. What is the future plans of the business? Mm. We don't know how far it'll grow, etc. So it was too early to talk about, um, you know, what size we want to build, etc. But what we knew from day one 
is we're not building a business to pass on to our children. Mm. When and as long as you're okay with that, what you start building is processes and you know, the right corporate governance structure, which you could do if you want to pass it on mm. to your children, if you want to keep it a family business. But since we knew that from day one, when my brother exited the business, it wasn't a hard ordeal because it was okay. It was a decision by one of the partners to exit. Um, and, and he wanted to start up something new and private equity came on board. So because the mindset was there, we were ready. Um, so last year, and we always said, me and, uh, me and Muhammad, my partner, we're, we're always like, when the right uh, partner comes along, we will be ready to do a sale. Um, but we wanna, when, when we say right partner, we mean someone who could take our company from X to 10X. Um, because at the end of the day, if you ask me, what are we responsible for? Sustainable businesses. You know, we uh, we want to build something that lasts the test, of the, the you know, time, not just something that you know makes us money and mm-hmm. and, and that's it. Um, and we owe it to the team and everyone who has a vision for the business. So, so it was really a blessing when you know the UAE's number one food company um, started talking to us. That happened last year, and we closed the deal at the end of the year. Um, and now we are still running the business for the next few years. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and it's very exciting because now we're talking about a lot of you know, new, um, new expansion plans and everything we always wanted in a, in a partnership. So, mm. that's, uh, so that's where we're at today. Yeah. Uh, Does it feel different when you run a business and you've now had the fina- the financial outcome because i think a lot of entrepreneurs and i'm guilty of this as well sometimes i catch myself thinking oh when we get to that point and i have the money life will be different and um and i have to pull myself away from that thought because i know it's you know planning fallacy to think that's the case are you talking personally or are you talking for the business I guess both. I guess both. So, so look um, again. It's a it's a very individual. Uh, you know, some people, some people are driven mm. by monetary mm. uh, gains, and you know they they see that um, you know if they have enough money, they want to buy that house and they want to do this, and nothing wrong with that. It's yeah. just a um, never motivated me that much. I think financial security is a great place to be in. Anyone tells you money can't buy happiness. Um, you know, that's a very, no, that's not a, not a true term at all, mm-hmm. because as long as you're financially secure, you're, you know, that already buys you that comfort. Mm. However, um, what I found it's done for us is this driven us because, mm. you know, yes, you take calculated risks when you come into the business, but as you grow older, you also have your own, you know, um, personal responsibilities, Right. And as long as you have to think of these while you're entering the business, you're that much more cautious. Mm. Um, and at some point you want to incentivize yourself. Mm. You, you know, um, when, you, when you take that variable out, um, and I think this is a very interesting point, not mm. just for businesses, mm. but for politicians and for, mm. is it can't be self-gain um, what's incentivizing you mm. if you want to really give the business your all. So when so what I found this year is when you took from me and my partner that variable out, we are that much more connected to the business mm. with 
you know, um, the only stress is all decisions come just for the business. Mm. Nothing on the personal side, because no matter what you say, there's always decisions you're making for your personal gain. Mm. So that's one. Uh, two, for the business itself, it's great. We, um, when you're part of a bigger company or, or when you do a round of, an, you know, mm. and you raise money and so on, you know what it's like. You, you're, you take away also the, from the business, you take the stress of living for another day if mm. you're doing um, round funding. But if you're, for us, it just means that now we can grow inorganically as well. We could mm. do some very interesting acquisitions and take the company to the size that we've always dreamed about. Mm. Um, look, overall, though, um, the biggest pride doesn't come from the amount of money or the biggest pride comes from for someone to buy your business means they value what you've built. Mm. Um, and there's no no better certificate, no better award, no better than, you know, than someone telling you, listen, I love what you've built. I want it, mm. um, particularly when, you know, whoever that is, is it has a dream of taking your business and then building on top of it. So mm. for us, that's the, that's the way we measured this deal, mm. that success rate. And mm. I get every time I sit with someone, I always get the whole, hey, how does it feel like, you know, like you made all that money and there's always jokes about that. And no, man, it's uh, it's it's really a compared to other businesses, you know, we, we live in a region and particularly in the country where we've seen a lot of success stories in the mm. last few years. And um, the value of that success story isn't as important as, uh, look, we've, we've all built something that, that matters. Mm. That's, the, that's yeah. what's driving me right now. Mm. So I heard you say a couple of things that uh, really stuck with me. Um, one is, you know, the less you have in life, uh, the less you have to lose. And sometimes that's uh, the engine for innovation. Uh, when you're constrained in capital, you manage the business well. Um, I heard a lot about the importance of understanding the legal side of the business um, to get you out of, uh, uh, to help you avoid trouble. Um, one thing I'm going to go back and implement, you know, effective immediately in our business is this idea of what would the world look like in five years and then working backwards say, how does that impact my business? And I love this constant theme that you talked about around betting small, then doubling down when things work as a way to continue to grow the business. And um, we've been friends for, for some time, but uh, this was an absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm so proud of what you guys have done. It's amazing to hear the story and see, you know, 16 years later, uh, that you still have the same fire uh, pushing through the business. And so thanks a lot for, for sharing your thoughts. Thank on Talks you with for T. having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And, um, and I know we've been planning this for quite a long time, but yeah, you've made this uh, very smooth, I have to say. Thanks a lot, man.